Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. I mean, here's a guy that criticizes everybody, whoever they take. He's got the answers to uh, who you should take and who you shouldn't take. And all of a sudden, he's an expert. He's in our paper two days ago telling us who we have to take. Welcome back to the first team. I am Joe DeLeon, joined by former NFL and college QB, Matt Sims, also founder of the Sims Complete QB. And today, we're going to be talking about newcomers in college football. We're getting really close to the start of the college football season, and we're going to be covering some of the freshmen, true freshmen, redshirt freshmen that could be making an impact on the college football scene in 2023. We've got a lot of quarterbacks that we're going to get to today, Matt. I want to ask you this first before we do get to the the three quarterbacks that we're going to talk about today. To be a true freshman or a redshirt freshman to play as a quarterback, how difficult do you think that is? Is it is it is it like a massive Herculean task, or is it maybe possible if you're a guy who's more refined or more ready for that level of stage? I think the biggest transition in all of sports for quarterbacks is actually the eighth grade level to the high school level, just because you do have some guys out there that are really grown men, you know, and you still have a lot of guys, you know, in their eighth grade that are still in their, their adolescent years, right? They're, they're not really fully developed yet athletically and physically and mentally. So I think that is uh, probably the biggest jump. The second biggest though is absolutely high school mm. to uh, Division One Power Five playing football and playing the position of quarterback. The demands for it mentally, physically um, are, are just so so intense. Uh, it's never ending. It's nonstop. It is just like a a marathon to the to the end of the season, and it is an unbelievable task to take that on um, and, and a fun one. To to add it but mm. nonetheless when you are 18 or 19 years old still a very difficult thing to kind of take on the weight of a program on your shoulders and on your back to carry a team to success and when it's done well man is it impressive yeah it's always really cool and exciting to watch these guys that are new to the scene yeah. explode onto the scene and right. i don't know if you caught the johnny manzel doc but like that's like a really <laughs> good example of a guy who out of nowhere wins the starting job as a redshirt freshman and just has a a ridiculous season that becomes uh, storied in a way. And I think that we've got some guys, at least one of them could end up sneaking their way onto the field. Maybe it's week one or it's somewhere in the middle of the season and could put together some really good performances. I want to start us off talking about the UCLA quarterback situation uh, with Dante Moore, Colin Schley, uh, Ethan Garbers. There's a lot of guys that are in the mix, but the most recognizable one is Dante Moore. And we know that because he was a five-star recruit. There was the possibility that he ended up at Oregon. There was other chances that he ended up at Michigan or at Notre Dame. And here he is going to suit up for the UCLA Bruins. He has so much talent, fantastic athlete, good arm. That situation for him to get onto the field, um, what do you see happening for, for him in 2023? Well, first, I just want to backtrack just a little, if that's okay, because yeah. I, I love that you brought up the Johnny Manziel thing. Um, I think in, in that situation, and this is why every situation for quarterbacks is different and very unique, um, and, and why there is no right or wrong answer, you know, in a lot mm-hmm. of these situations. It's just circumstance in a lot of a lot of times. 
for Johnny Menzel, he was a player that came out to the scene who had that natural charisma that you want to see, that natural energy, right? He plays a certain yeah. style that's very fast, very loose, very energetic, and it's great for the college football game. The other aspect that really helped Johnny Manziel, too, was the fact that he had a ton of NFL-quality drafted players on his offensive line, in his skill group, right? I mean, it's not a bad thing, right, to mention. But the fact was is that he was put in a situation where he had a lot of talent that was surrounding him, which allowed him to kind of tap into some of those extended miraculous plays that we all kind of knew and became accustomed to with Johnny football. Now, going back to this, to what you just asked about the UCLA situation, totally different circumstance. We're talking about a team now that has to replace three starters on their offensive line. And I think for a, a team that is, you know, going to be making that shift to the Big Ten, that's a big question mark is making sure that they get their their offensive offensive line a little bit more solidified this season. And typically, I feel like when you have those situations early on in camp, coaches tend to rely on the older, more mature quarterback to navigate those murky waters when you're working with new offensive linemen because they, they think that the veteran quarterback can at least create veteran ways using snap count and and looking after his teammates and making sure that everyone is in the proper place where they need to being a great leader being vocal and really demanding a lot it's very hard for a young quarterback to demand a lot from new players especially when he doesn't even know the offense as well himself yet so for Dante Moore I think that he you're exactly right with I think he'll get some experience here and there I think it really is Ethan Garber's position to lose and if they have a, a, a slow start, that's where I see Dante Moore potentially getting interjected into, you know, the playing field um, once they kind of get everything uh, hashed out during camp. I, I think that's one thing that's interesting to bring up with the UCLA QB situation that I think for outsiders, just we naturally assumed that like Colin Schley was the guy who came in from Kent State and. He had started a bunch of games. He had a decent yeah. career. He was playing in a really fun offense uh, that put up a lot of numbers. And I think we all forgot about Ethan Garbers, who at one point was uh, a highly sought-after recruit as well. And you're talking about how it definitely is his job to lose. He is familiar with the offense. He is familiar with what it takes to um, produce and be a quarterback in Westwood in, in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. It's not an easy task. There are a lot of distractions uh, that could present to a young quarterback. But one thing I feel like, Matt, with with uh, with Dante Moore is that he – I there's definitely probably some financial decision that came into play why he picked UCLA last minute over Oregon. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there was some of his decision to want to go somewhere where he could play right away. Yeah. That Dorian Thompson-Robinson, where you can make parallels to their play style, and I would argue Dante Moore – might be an even better version of Dorian Thompson Robinson that he can step into this offense and impact it very early on uh, now that he's gone. And Bo Nix went back. That might have been some sort of deterrent that he'd have to sit his his freshman year and wouldn't get on the field until he's a, a redshirt freshman. So right. with all that in mind, I, I wonder if even if maybe he doesn't win this job outright, if it's maybe set up for him to eventually win it, that he at least gets onto the field in some sort of sub packages, maybe – similar to, and this is a bit of a a very specific reference, maybe similar to the Jack Cohn, Tyler Buckner rotation where uh, Buckner came onto the field, throw some passes, did a little bit of read option, and Jack Cohn was was the starter. He was the full-time starter, but that was the rotation and the way that they mixed things up. 
to get a true freshman onto the field. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. And, and, and I didn't mean to discredit either Colin Schley either in his competition and where he stands yeah. in this. Um, you know, the reason why I kind of give just Garbers a little bit of that edge is just because of experience of being the back of the past two years to DTR, um, playing in six games last year. He didn't really play a ton, um, but definitely got some experience and, and enough experience, too, to show that, like, he has the ability to get the job done. I think no matter who it is, whether it's Ethan Garbers, whether it's Colin Schley uh, at the end of this race, I do think that the leash will be very short because I think there's going to be a, a high incentive, obviously, by the fan base. And really, eventually, by the coaching staff to kind of find that guy to take over the reins as you enter into this Big Ten territory, right? And to kind of have that big name quarterback, quote unquote, um, when you when you step onto these Big Ten fields. And I, that's why I think too there'll be some patience with Dante because of the the lack of uh, experience on the offensive side of the ball, especially on the offensive line. But I, I do think that no matter who it is that gets this head spot, will eventually be. Uh, you know, unfortunately, swapped in and out, right, to get Dante those experience reps that you're talking about. Um, how aggressive that is, I think it really just depends on how that first quarter of the season goes. Yeah, a lot of that too is going to come into play how things turn out because you talked about the depletion of a lot of this roster. There were a lot of seniors, a lot of veteran players that moved on to that next step. And it might be tough sledding early on for UCLA this year. It might yeah. be hard for them to to bounce back and hit the ground running. And it's it, it's kind of a double-edged sword, I think, for, for a team like UCLA where it's, okay, if things aren't going well, do we put the freshman out there because we're not going to win the conference and we're just trying to get reps in and we're trying to be competitive in games and maybe throw out the better athlete? Or is it things aren't going well – do we not get the you know the true freshman kid into trouble early on and maybe stunt his progress because he's he's getting hit often and and things are already looking pretty murky. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a great point, right? We don't want to David Carm, right? We don't want to put him out there too early and he just yeah. gets hit too much and too often and it kind of causes him to to make bad habits. And and this is where, you know, missing Ryan today on the show hurts for us a little bit cuz he has heard rumblings right that Dante Moore might not be as happy at UCLA as uh, yeah. some of us maybe project so maybe in a future episode Ryan can fill us in on that one right now but he's too busy talking about the Irish of course Notre Dame. you know that damn man <laughs> um but yeah a lot to look into and especially too for the coaching staff do they play Dante Moore too because they're concerned about him you know getting jumpy and wanting to you know leave UCLA do they play him to incentivize him to stay right because he is our guy because we are putting him you know, the program in his hands in the future, you know, so is that a decision that comes into play as the season goes along? Yeah, absolutely. And maybe trying to make him happy is going to be something that is important. It should be for how rare it is to get a five-star uh, quarterback to play for UCLA. The next circumstance for a young player was one that we tracked throughout uh, the entire offseason and for the, the most dramatic part of this, which was Jaden Rashada's circumstance. He was supposed to go yeah. to Florida. Things didn't work out. He ends up now at Arizona State. Kenny Dillingham, new head coach. He is a uh, wonderkin, a offensive guru, an under 30 offensive guru, which is very rare to find. And the expectations are high down the line for Arizona State, maybe not in, in year one. They went and brought in a guy that I'm I'm sadly very familiar with that 
I'm not the biggest fan of. I'm going to poo-poo him a little bit. I, I don't I think you're going to be a little bit more positive uh-huh. uh, as you typically <laughs> are when we talk about quarterbacks. Um, but uh, Drew Pine came in from Notre Dame, who he's going to be battling it out for. And maybe there's that possibility that Drew Pine is has some type of Bo Nix-esque season. I feel like the more likely thing here is that Jane Rashada is just such a talented kid that even though Pine might be a little more steady, Rashad is going to provide a lot of juice and there's not going to be much of a, you'd have to make a lot of excuses to keep him off the field in my eyes. Yeah. And, and this is where, you know, I almost feel like this situation is very similar, if not going to be the exact same way as UCLA is going to play theirs out too. Because I, I think you really do have to be um, somewhat careful at first with throwing a young football player out there in a power five, you know, competition. Because I really do think that you need to develop, you know, these good habits, right, and a good routine and a good, you know, a, a good system that allows your quarterback to become disciplined within your offense. You know, and Kenny Dillingham is a guy that demands a lot out of his offense, right? And we see, you know, what he's able to do with quarterbacks under his tutelage and how he's able to make them improve in just a year. And what we saw with Bo Nix was super impressive. You know, the question really, though, can Jaden do it with just this little offseason? It's not a yeah. full year, you know, and that's where it's, it's very quick for him. That's why for Jaden, I'd rather say go with Drew Pine. Jaden, learn. Be all over Drew. Watch his habits. Watch how he studies. Watch how he prepares for games. Nothing is going to derail you from your career. Take your time. Learn how things are done. And I think after he gets a, a few games under his belt, you kind of see how he does as far as managing his time and his expectations, especially, too, for Dante Moore. Just being young student athletes, you know, it, managing your time is a big thing. So I think for Jaden Rashada, go through your reps, get experience. Uh, I think eventually he probably will end up being the starter. But I, I don't see there would be any problem with them going with Drew Pine for one whole year, allowing Jaden Rashada to sit, wait, and learn. Right. The the way that I kind of I kind of look at this is, I like I, again I, I'm familiar with watching Drew Pine every single week, being a Notre Dame fan. That yeah. I, I know that he can be really steady, but he's not the type of guy who is going to take your team over the top. He's not the guy who's going to make the wow play that puts your team in a in a in a situation to win football games when they're close. And like I like the USC game is a perfect example yeah. where there were limitations for him that he couldn't will Notre Dame back into the game because this massive Herculean task going up against Caleb Williams, who was the best quarterback in the country last year. But I think that for what you're saying, makes a lot of sense that he's experienced. He knows how to, you know, play within the the confines um, of a, a college offense that he probably will win this job at the start. He is steady enough to win the job at the start, but I would not be shocked. And I think it's very likely to end up happening is that, his limitations show up again, his issues show up again. And unlike Notre Dame circumstance where they didn't have anyone else to turn to, he was the second quarterback. He was the second option. Right. They have Jane Rashad to turn to. So maybe somewhere by week five or week six after the bye week, they try to find that way to get Rashad onto the field. Kind of like we see with these rookie quarterbacks in the NFL, get them some reps. Arizona state's not winning the conference in 2023. So Try to give him any bit of exposure towards that end of the season. Yeah, and I will say that just for his situation, Drew Pine going into this match, you know, with Kenny Dillingham, 
I think this offense will actually fit him a little bit better. I think this offense will be a little bit more spread out. He'll be in the shotgun more consistently. It'll help him because I think some of his issues sometimes are his stature and his size in the pocket. He has trouble seeing occasionally, right, which limits his ability to scramble and make those extended plays with his legs because I do think that he's an above-average athlete. I think he throws the ball well on the run or well enough. But I think with this style of offense being that spread out, that wide open, will allow him to be a better decision maker throughout the year. And really just the style of the conference, too, I think will allow him to play a little bit of a freer uh, way of managing the game than what we saw with Notre Dame, which was it seemed very, very tight and confined. Um, and, and I think that was something that he struggled with at times, was being able to manage the game from – inside like the under the center drop back pocket style of offense that Tommy Reese was implementing at Notre Dame. I think now with the spread offense, he'll be a little bit Mm -hmm. better with dishing the football around. This is the style that he played in high school. So I expect him to, to be a little bit more impressive in the drop back passing game that we saw in Notre Dame. Right. And just a kind of final thought before we get to the the last grouping that we're going to talk about. Um, I I do agree with that. I think that, what happened with Bo Nix is a really good example that there is a path for Drew Pine to have a really nice season and a bit of a revitalization because Drew was unlike most of the other quarterbacks on Notre Dame's roster and the ones that were being recruited by Tommy Rees. And right. it was kind of a, a square peg in a round hole trying to get him to run that offense. And you saw that lack of comfort. There was a lot of discomfort all around because of a lot of the things that you just talked about. It's a you know very run-heavy um, pro style kind of offense, the way that it was, it was approached and the run game was successful, but whenever Drew was asked to play as that type of quarterback, he just didn't do a very good job of it. He struggled. And maybe this, this style, and there can be parallels made to Bo Nix's situation and Drew Pine's situation where Bo Nix was incredibly uncomfortable at Auburn. And then he yeah. steps into a system that speeds things up, gets the ball out quicker, lets him be a little bit more of an athlete, a little bit more of that, you know, you talk about a little more coming out of the gun instead of mm-hmm. being under center. And he was really productive. Probably not going to have an exactly Bo Nix-like season, but can have an improvement. I think that that improvement's definitely capably there. Definitely. And I think that's where at the end of the day, I really just believe that Kenny Dillingham is going to be able to be a little bit better of a quarterback whisper because of the fact that he just has a little bit more experience with getting it done more consistently. Yeah. So that's where I, I give him a good edge as far as having a good season this year. The last one that I want to get to for freshmen that could find their way onto the football field, I, I think it. Tennessee's projection for 2023 is is a huge toss-up. It's either going to be a step forward from last year, and Joe Milton has a fantastic season. He's got all I keep seeing are videos of him just throwing the ball as far as he can <laughs> during the offseason. It's like, okay, what else can he do? Can he can he throw with touch? Can he throw with timing? No, let's just watch him throw the ball 80 yards in the air. But if all goes according to plan, this offense could be awesome. This could be explosive. They could be even better than what they were with Hinton Hooker. Or maybe it's not there. Maybe things don't work well like we saw the first time that Joe Milton was the starter at Tennessee. And that opens the door for one of the, if not the most highly sought after quarterback in this class with Nico Ayamalavea, tall, long, thin kid coming in here at Tennessee. But he's got all the traits. He might need to add a little bit of weight, but he has every trait that you need to throw the ball all over the yard. Do you think that there maybe is a path that he gets onto the field? Yeah, so this is one that we discussed pre-show, right, between our text exchange, right, how we had to kind of mention it because he is QB2 right now and the roster, and he is one play away from being the guy. 
We all believe that Joe Milton has the ability to be a first pick of the draft type of talent, right? With his skill set, with his body type, with his ability to throw the football seemingly all over the stadium. And I mean, quite literally all over it, right? Because of just how talented of an arm he has. I mean, the biggest question really, the guy only has about 600 reps of college football under his belt compared to a Bo Nix who has 3,000 reps of being a college football player. So his lack of experience will really be the biggest question mark. Is he able to kind of, you know, move beyond some of those learning curve issues that he had had previously, right? And had a good spring, a good, hopefully he's having a good camp here early on so far to where he can hit the ground running in this offense. The offense is built for a guy like him and his skill set. So he can absolutely take off and just be super dynamic, throwing the ball down the field. Big question marks will be just managing, obviously, the protection. Hendon was awesome at being able to make the right decisions depending on what protection was given him, right? So he did a great job managing that. That'll be a big question mark for Joe. The other question, too, is Hendon did a really good job of making plays on the ground with his feet and on the move outside the pocket. We haven't seen a ton of that from Joe Milton yet, right? But that is definitely something that this Tennessee offense really took advantage of a year ago with Hendon at the helm. Can Joe interject some of those plays? going forward mm. so really the first six games uh, first six games of the year are really the most important for joe they start out with virginia then austin p they come back and they play florida then it's utsa and then they have a three-game slate in the sec where it's south carolina texas a&m and alabama if they it's are a pretty favorable start to the year it's That's a, a pretty good it absolutely setup. is it really the biggest thing really be how does he perform against you know, the South Carolina, Texas A&M, Bama, three-game-in-a-row stretch. If mm. there is a game where he balls out, but then he really, really struggles in two of them, that's where I could kind of maybe see people getting a little uneasy in Tennessee. But I mm. don't project that to happen. I expect Nico to be a great, solid backup for him all year, and I expect Joe Mellon to have a really good season, maybe not a hand-and-hooker-like season, but a solid season nonetheless. See, I'm going to put this out into the to the ether. <laughs> yeah. I'm a little more pes- pessimistic on, okay, on Joe Milton for for whatever reason, but I, I actually kind of think this situation is going to be similar to what happened at Clemson last year with DJU, okay. where he started the whole season, a lot of ups and downs, a lot of headaches, but like a lot of like, okay, he's doing fine enough where they're they're you know they're beating all their beatable opponents, right. and once those roadblocks come into play, where they have to play Alabama and then they have to face off with all the other difficult teams in their schedule in the, in the back half. If he has problems, I, f- I don't see why Josh Heupel wouldn't turn to uh, Nico Ayamalavea. He was, we saw that with Dabo Sweeney. He was willing to do that even when they were in the hunt for an ACC championship. Right. He was able to do that and willing to do that in the ACC championship game where he had the diversion of let's put out DJU to start and then Boom, here's Kate Klubnik. Good luck trying to stop that. I'm not saying it's going to happen exactly like that, yeah. but I don't know why. This just gives me that same sense because Nico has been described as this uber talented player, one that might be ready to contribute early. That I don't think he starts week one, not putting that out there, but I could see like a path for him to start the final game of the season uh, and then maybe the bowl game. 
Yeah, well, I mean, only the only reason why he's going to start the last game of the year in the bowl game is because Joe Milton balled out and he's getting ready to get drafted in the first <laughs> round, right? So, because I just I feel Fair. like that that six game mark, right, about mid season for them will kind of be yeah. like they either know what they have in Joe or they've lost all faith and that's where they're going to jump ship and move on, you know. So that's mm. where I feel like those first three games will be very telling because you want Joe to go out there and you want him to ball out and dominate versus you know less. Uh, talented teams and opponents, right? Florida will be the first big test. Can he go down there, right, play really well against Florida, a team that, you know, Tennessee really is a better football team than Florida. They have more of the pieces together. It seems like their organization is a little bit more on top of their things right now. You know, but then it will be that that three-game stretch, right, where it's Texas A&M, South Carolina, and Alabama. That will allow Josh Heupel enough experience mm-hmm. to say, all right, Joe is now hitting – everything in stride and now we're ready to take over or okay now we need to take a step back joe isn't living up to the hype we'll make that switch well that's an awesome note to wrap us up on next show we're going to talk about some non-quarterbacks and their expectations as newcomers there are a lot of exciting players we'll be back next week with more at joe DeLeon at sims complete qb hit that subscribe button we'll be back toodles thank you for listening to believe You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.